It's the Vince and the Bay podcast. Back from the dead. Finally, a new episode after a long hiatus. This episode, I'm going to be sharing an interview I did over the summer with security researcher Ray Watson in Las Vegas, where we were both in town for Black Hat and DEF CON. Ray did a talk on hacker history at Black Hat, and we sat down to discuss hacker history and other InfoSec-related trends. Enjoy. Let's get going here, shall we? Sure. We're going to talk to Ray Watson at... Hacker Summer Camp 2017. <laughs> uh, Ray is in Las Vegas because he is speaking at Black Hat. Uh, he's putting on a talk about the history of hacking titled Sith Lords, Jedi Masters, and Drones, Five Generations of Hacking and Cybersecurity. So welcome, Ray. Thank you. Well, Thank it's you good for- to be here. And I actually spent some time coming up with a little bit of a mental list. So I've actually come prepared with a mental list of things that I want to discuss about uh, the biggest pet peeves in the cyber world. I'm glad one of us is prepared. <laughs> Go ahead. Well, let's start with a really easy one. And I'm, I'm interested in your opinion about this one. Uh, but this one I would actually call the shiny thing syndrome. Now, what the shiny thing syndrome really refers to is the fact that in our industry... Hang on then, a second. I'm, I'm, I, there's something on my phone. <laughs> Put the shiny thing down. Oh, it's, yeah. It's shiny. The shiny my bad. Sorry. So the shiny thing syndrome refers to the fact that in our industry and in the InfoSec discussion world, it seems like we have an unnatural obsession to talk about zero-day exploits or O-days. Mm-hmm. When in reality, at the company I work for, G, about 91% of the global breaches that we track come about because of phishing or social engineering. And it, you definitely see that at conferences. I don't know if you've seen that at conferences before, but everybody always wants to talk about Eternal Blue and these uh, you know, heretofore unpatched exploits, when in reality, it's usually as simple as someone clicking on something that causes all the trouble. Now, there are some companies out there that are talking about this and are talking about, you know, the classic thing about fish your own users, uh, user education, uh, you know, a lot, of the, a lot of the pioneering work that's going on in that. But the reality is, is phishing has been a problem ever since AOL almost 20 years ago, and it continues to be a problem because it's so successful. I mean, I don't know if you personally have fallen for a phishing attack or if you could even admit it here. Not knowingly. Well, there are some very serious, hardcore cybersecurity experts that have actually fallen for them. And they've actually come out and admitted the fact that because in many, many cases, uh, we, like to, we like to imagine that this is an unsophisticated user, a, a grandma, if you will, that is falling for a Nigerian scam. But some of these attacks are extremely sophisticated. The, the one from a couple months ago involving Google Docs, it asked you to give permission to an application called Google Docs, and it was a propagating wormable uh, exploit. And so although I think zero days are important and we need to be talking about them, I think that the, it, it overshadows the fact that most intrusions are not based on zero days. Um. Chicken Little Syndrome. What the hell's that? Yes. Yeah, so this is actually when the InfoSec media 
tries to explain cyber threats, but they do it in a way that is so overly dramatic that the message is completely lost in the hysterics. And I'll give you an example of this. Uh, as we all know, last year, uh, the first terabit distributed denial of service attack uh, hit Krebs on security. He was hit with a very, very large distributed denial of service attack uh, from what ultimately ended up being because of a booter service. And it kind of bled into the, all of the stories around uh, Mirai as well. And that was an IoT attack. And a lot of the media reported the fact that there were security cameras and baby cameras that were being basically rooted and exploited remotely. And in many cases, like the mass media might talk about, is your baby uh, being used by hackers? Is your baby camera being used by hackers? And of course, most of the folks that were part of the Mirai botnet had no idea that they were, right? They, they simply installed a cheap camera and, and never changed any passwords. Uh, but certainly their babies weren't involved uh, in any of those. So I think the chicken little syndrome is really when non-infosec media tries to talk about cyber threats, but they, they tend to over-dramatize it, in some cases uh, to the point of just absolute ridiculousness. Hoodie depiction syndrome. Why are these all syndromes? <laughs> because uh, I think uh, when we were talking about annoyances, I was almost looking at it from a clinical standpoint. And uh, the hoodie depiction syndrome is this. It's, it's actually, I want to blame it on the non-infosec folks, but... But I also have to, have to tie it back to the fact that when you go to an InfoSec conference, whether it's a B-Sides or, or a Black Hat or an RSA or any of these others, even smaller ones, for some reason when it comes time for people to make their slides, they always fall back on that horrible image of a hacker in a hoodie with his face completely covered up, which I actually should tell you, as a side note, the, the television program, Mr. Robot, actually used this to great effect uh, in both a, a way of parodying this and also a way of, of connecting with that piece. Because uh, the reality is most hackers do not actually wear hoodies. As a matter of fact, if we think about the absolute pinnacles of hacking, I don't know, did, did Kevin Mitnick ever wear a hoodie? Can we, can we go to Google Images and look up whether Kevin Mitnick or John Draper ever had a hoodie on? I've never seen any actual hackers ever pictured with a hoodie. So what you're telling me is, is that if you're ever involved in illicit behavior and you're feeling heat from the FBI, you should wear a hoodie immediately because it will, uh, it will make you look completely innocent is what you're Absolutely. saying. Absolutely. You should wear a hoodie and make sure you get the special keyboard with the ransomware key and the hack key and the cybersecurity key that's 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 the thing that i love more than uh the you know when you see a, uh, an article on hacking or something yeah they they use the the guy hunched over the keyboard with the hoodie and the cascading uh green text on black background surrounding them yeah i get that that's that's uh, a stereotype and and everything but it's when they show when they just show a keyboard and there's a special red key that says <laughs> hack or there's a red key or no it, 
even better. There was Russian hacking. Oh, okay, the key is going to be the, the color of the Russian flag to, to show that Russian hackers. That's how Russian hackers hack, apparently. They just have a keyboard with their flag on it. <laughs> hit that. Boom. You're cyber hacked. You know, we can't talk about the special keyboard without talking about, and I'm not 100% sure what the show was. I think it was CSI Cyber or one of those similarly cheesy shows where they were looking for the malware and on the screen the part of it that was that was a virus or a worm was actually in red and the rest was in green because we all know that that's how you find yeah. uh, which parts are need to be rooted out right also we should also mention that the the screens themselves need to make a bleep or blurp noise for every character that that, that scrolls across them because that's how modern operating systems work yeah, yeah, my my uh, my laptop bleeps and bloops all the time. <laughs> I haven't quite heard that yet. So, well, that's enough about the non-infosec community. Yeah, absolutely. In the infosec community, and this one might hit a little close to home. Another annoyance that we sometimes see, and this has actually come about since the nexus between infosec and natsec or national security uh, issues has come across, is what I would call the everyone's an expert syndrome. And that is every single time an issue pops up about national security matters or OPSEC or leaks from the intelligence community, Twitter seems to get flooded with people that uh, really position themselves as armchair special agents and want to talk about OPSEC advice, want to talk about uh, Langley training and all of these types of experts. And I'm sure some of them actually do know a lot. I, I actually am friends with some of the folks that do that, but there's no way that of the hundred responses we see in that space that everyone is truly uh, an expert. And, you know, when we talk about OPSEC, that actually ties into my DEFCON hysteria syndrome because last week, and it was actually pointed out to great effect by the Grok and some other folks, but last week, we saw an enormous amount of people telling new DEF CON attendees to go purchase burners, like burner telephones, those, those Tony Soprano flip phones that I don't know if you can still get them at 7-Eleven paying cash. I'm, I'm not 100% sure. But with straight face, they were telling people that you need to make sure that you have burners because, you know, OMG, the hackers are going to get you and stay off the Wi-Fi and Make sure that you use a pseudonym when you check in, et cetera. And that's really not been my experience at this show or at any other show. Is, is it really That really doesn't make sense. Uh, either that or maybe I just don't know it. Well, I think maybe uh, in the early years there were a lot more shenanigans going on. But I think as, as, the, as time's gone on, these people have grown up uh, and matured in one way or another and... You, know, you have people who are bringing second generations to these conferences now. They have kids sure. who are coming and, and, and hacking now. So, I, I, you know, there's, it, it just goes back to the whole paranoia factor, the whole uh, stereotype about hackers. Like, you know, oh, you're going to pl- go to a place where there's 20,000 hackers? Good luck. I mean, there are, you know, you could see why somebody would think that that's, uh, something to be uh, alarmed about, but once you've uh, you actually get here and you go to the conference, you know, it, it, pretty much regular everyday operational security should be should be there already. Sure, like you should already <laughs> you should you should already be uh, 
you know, conscious about what networks you're connecting to, who you're talking to, you know, leaving things unattended. But, uh, you know, most of the people that come here pay to get in and show their face are doing it because they want to be here. They want to see people. They want to hear people talk. They want to meet people. Sure. I don't know. I, I just, I, I think there's a lot there. I think there's a mystique that comes along with this and, you know, the first time I came, yeah, I heard the, the stories of, like, you should get a burner phone. And I went, you know, I got a burner phone. And I also, uh, you know, I was paranoid that somebody was going to hijack my Twitter account. So I created a, <laughs> a separate Twitter account just for no DEF CON. You know, I went all out that first time because I was like, I, I'm going to have airtight OPSEC and none of these guys are going are gonna to get me. And um, now I'm, it's like, yeah, whatever. You know, I'm, I'm not going to bring my my personal stuff to the conference. Not, I wouldn't bring my personal stuff to any conference. You know, I pack light. So you're, you you want to be mobile and comfortable. You don't want to be lugging things around, your personal effects around. Like outside of DEFCON, the rest of the year in Las Vegas, there's a lot of tourism. There's probably a lot of scammers here already. Sure. Like I have the uh, a sleeves to keep my credit card in so it protects it from being scanned and stuff and that's something that i think you it's just a common sense thing now that that'll protect you anywhere you go sure you know because every once of course there's going to be that you know that element who's here to try to cause some havoc so i mean that's the thing with the with this infosec community is everybody wants is there's a sort of like a one-upsmanship going on so if somebody does something bad somebody wants to, to to figure out how that happened who did it how they did it that's another thing that i love about the following the infosec community on twitter is because whenever these big attacks hit the news cycle Everybody is sleuthing and and uh, you know trying to analyze the code and figure out what this is. <laughs> is it ransomware? Is it not ransomware? No, it's a wiper. No, it's ransomware. No, it's it, Petya. No it, Petya. Yeah. It's not Petya. It's it's not not Petya. You know, <laughs> and and it's funny to watch that all develop in real time on Twitter. Like so, I've learned now when when something big hits. Wait about a day and a half, well, sure, and you'll figure. It, and then you'll get so you the miss real all the story. fun. You miss all the fireworks. No, I like watch. I like watching the fireworks, but I just kind of like sit back and go, "Oh, really? It's this? Oh no, it's this. Okay, oh no, okay. it's that." All right, so let's get specific. Do you use the ATMs at DefCon? Do you use the the automated teller machines? I don't use ATM machines on the Las Vegas Strip at all. At all. Okay. If you did, would you cover your hand up before you uh, typed in your pen? Sure. Why not? Okay. I don't know anyone that can go to Vegas that doesn't end up using an ATM somewhere on the Strip, but I guess you have a special place that's a little bit off of that. Well, I don't know if you've seen a map of Las Vegas, but you know there's the Strip, and then if you go like a block to the right, a block to the left, it just keeps going. Sure. It's not sure. the strip anymore, but sure. there's Las Vegas out there. So, so the ATMs at Hard Rock they are have, safer than the forget ATMs. Forget Hard Rock. They have a freaking Walgreens down, you know, down the street. They have a McDonald's down the street. They have a Target. They have they have everything here. It's a city. It's an actual city. It's okay. not just a bunch of casinos. So okay. you can, so you can use an ATM at a shopping market 5 blocks away. And I I don't know why people don't Think outside the box. Think outside of the strip. 
I w- I'm not going to do anything at Caesars. Not not just because I, I, I'm extra paranoid. Extra now a lot paranoid. of that. Why, why even why even tempt fate? Now a lot of those stories came from hackers on planet Earth. The the 2600 conferences were pretty famous for some of the mischief that would occur uh, every year. At, uh, at at those particular events, but I think to a certain degree, some of that mystique and that that wannabe spy poser opsec stuff is, is is fed into, especially for the newbies, the first people, you know, that ever attend uh, these shows. Let me change gears on you and ask you a different question. Mm-hmm. When you walk through a trade show floor, okay, like the business hall at Black Hat or anywhere else, right? Are you attuned to the fact that a lot of the companies that are displaying solutions are really focusing on one tiny sliver of the entire kill chain or the entire kind of approach to security? Do you, do you see any one-trick ponies? And can I call it the one-trick pony syndrome, please? You have my permission. <laughs> um, when I walk through these trade show floors and see all the vendors... I don't know if it occurs to me, unless there's something in their literature that uh, spells it out. It doesn't really occur to me whether they have their their one-trick pony or if they're like a one-stop shop. Some of the bigger names, I you know, I know, I know because they're publicly traded. Like I know Palo Alto Networks. I know they're they're a huge cybersecurity firm. I know they're located in. Palo Alto, <laughs> you know, they advertise. So, hey, they must be doing something right in sure. information security. And I, I couldn't tell you uh, what exactly. I'd have to I'd have to do a little bit of OSINT. But I would assume that they have some sort of, uh, you know, software that monitors traffic coming in and out through on networks and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I hear about the, the AI that's going to, you know, detect anomalies in, in systems and stuff. Sure. And uh, it sounds fine and dandy to me, but um, in talking to people in this industry, you know, I get a lot of different perspectives. And um, Jeffrey Carr, I interviewed, interviewed him a few times, and he said something that really stuck with me. And he said, um, if you are... Uh, if you're looking to, to to hunt a virus or a zero or find a zero day or whatever, you're looking to prevent a certain type of attack sure. from happening happening again. And he says the better thing to do is find the attacker. Get the attacker. <laughs> because because if you find one of their find one of their tricks, they're just gonna move to something else. And and uh, and I think this might go back to attribution a little bit, you know, the signatures of different actors and stuff. And I think it's amazing, really, how a lot of these firms put out these white papers and stuff, and and how do write it. Everybody's got a different write up on APT twenty eight and twenty nine, cozy sure. bear slash fancy bear, fancy, you know, whatever. Nick Midas, by the way, on those. Yeah, there's oh a, there's my. There's a very God. very good chart of those, and I think there's dozens of them for the same threat actors. Yeah, so um, I forgot where I was going with that. Well, let me tell you something funny. You you mentioned that you would have to do OSINT, which is, of course, open source intelligence. But that actually ties into another uh, piece because you actually wouldn't have to do OSINT on one of those vendors. If you're coming to a trade show and you're registered, 
because they're going to spam you to no end in the weeks before you come. I was actually getting Twitter spam this week. I was actually getting Twitter spam to come by and see folks. And now I work for a cybersecurity firm and we do stuff uh, on an opt-in basis on email. So I don't want to sound completely hypocritical, but how many emails have you gotten in the last couple weeks from companies that you don't have a relationship with that are trying to get you to come by and visit them? A lot. I would say probably about five dozen, maybe. That's a lot. And that's actually not so bad. For RSA, it was a lot worse. Well, sure. And then with RSA, it's also afterwards, too. Yeah. Oh, it keeps going. It goes on for weeks afterwards. But but within that, those uh, unsolicited emails, every once in a while, there's a little nugget. There's a little hidden gem. And uh, I find somebody that's interesting and, and, and maybe, maybe has to do something with uh, what they're talking about or who they work with or if I recognize the person, um, you know, I'll, I'll, sometimes I'll pursue it. I've, got, I've gotten a, f- a few good leads on interviews through that process. So, you know, it's, it's a matter of just getting used to your own sort of filtering system about, you know, scrolling down all these, these emails and, and, and seeing what pops out. Usually what I love about Google emails, you get a little snippet of the first couple lines and it's usually enough. Yeah. That's usually enough to tell me, to tell me whether it's some sort of form cut and paste form letter that they they're sending me, or if it's somebody who's really interested in, in talking to me. So, you know, it's funny, you mentioned the, the, the naming conventions and the naming ideas among different competing cybersecurity firms. And this mostly has to do with APTs or advanced persistent threats and certainly nation state actors. But have you noticed that some of these firms, and I'm not going to name names, <clears throat> I'm not going to name names, but even in times of urgent reporting, will send you things that are either behind a paywall, so you have to register to get the data, or it's a PDF, so you can't cut and paste and incorporate it easily, at least not if it's got uh, graphics that are out there, or in some way somehow take this, uh, what you referred to earlier as OSINT, or the open source intelligence, and try to keep it kind of walled in and and tied to their intellectual property. Have Have you noticed that as well? Yes, it's usually when a firm. Well, well this is the the case that I run into, is a firm will will blast out a message saying our new uh, uh, third quarter intelligence uh, threat intelligence report has been posted. Come check it out. And you go to the website, and you have to put in your name and your email, and then you get access to the PDF. I just get around that by looking up the old one. You know, do a Google search, look at the look up the old one, figure out the naming convention, and change the 2016 to the 2017. And more times than not, boom! I've got really? the PDF, and I don't have to sign up really? for their newsletter, and they don't have to get my email. Sometimes it takes about five minutes on on Google to find it. Some of it are good good at hiding it. But it's a PDF on the Internet. It's out there. I just got to find it. And, of course, these days, if you download a white paper 
or even visit certain websites, you're going to get that call the next day. I noticed you were downloading this white paper. Or I noticed you were doing that because they're very, very quick on those uh, interest site uh, metrics as far as uh, marketing inside. And that's actually that's actually my biggest and final pet peeve uh, is when you come to a conference like this and you think, I'm going to sit down with Ray Watson. He, he's a technologist at Macergy. And we're going to have a chit-chat about pet peeves, and surely he wouldn't change the topic to turn it into a spammy marketing spin about how Macer is a true global provider of security services. Or you go to a talk, and they promise— I'm glad, I'm glad you didn't do that, Of course, way. I would never, ever uh, talk about MDR and Macer using AI engines. But Or you go to a talk, and the presenter t- presents himself as being— uh, presenting no- technical information that you can use immediately, but within about five slides, you realize this is a pitch, and everyone hates that, right? There's there's never in the history of any conference has been someone who went to a, a speech and said, man, I wish there had more marketing fluff. I, I really didn't like the code slides at all. Uh, but that's a fine line, right? Because that is why a lot of these companies are sponsoring these events, and that's how we end up coming together and and comparing notes with our peers so that being said (laughs) i am here actually to talk about the history of hacking and i'm not going to be talking about macer g at all one of my peers and co-workers is going to be talking about information warfare and active measures both from the united states as well as nato countries as well as non-nato countries and we really won't be sneaking in any sneaky advertisements for uh, macer g security services at all so we'll be keeping that keeping that faith cool uh so vince i want to close with something fun and we haven't even talked about doing this what are you talking about what are you talking about this, it is this this hasn't been fun <laughs> it is i want to close with something fun that we can we can go back to and reference uh in a year uh we're recording this in july of 2017 mm-hmm. and it is extremely likely that both of us will be back here in july of 2018 do you have any predictions about what will have changed in the InfoSec space as of July of 2018? And let's see who can get closer to the pen on what has changed. What will change? I don't think anything's going to change as far as information security goes. Uh, I don't see any revolutionary advances in security. Um, on the forefront then again you know what do i know i'm just a dude on the internet um but i'm sure by this time next year we're going to be talking about oh man you know what we're going to be talking about russia really we're going to be talking about russia still because last year we were talking at this time we were talking about russia people are still talking about russia (laughs) so i'm i'm going to go out on a limb and say this time next year it's going to be about russia and, uh, you know, the 2018 election and the active measures going up to that. It's either that or, or I don't know, maybe there'll be news. You know what? They're going to they're going to combine uh, Stuxnet, uh, Mirai, WannaCry, Petra, not Petra, um, <laughs> not not Petra. They're going to combine them all into one huge, really enormous worm slash botnets slash virus okay well that's a that's a grand plan that might actually be a movie pitch somewhere i think um i'm gonna go a different direction 
But I'm gonna think. I'm gonna predict that at some point, malevolent actors are gonna figure out. Uh, if you look at the Sony Pictures Entertainment hack, or even the DNC hack, those emails, those damaging and embarrassing emails, could become a point of ransomware that is way more effective than encrypting files. So, for example, if you were to have the entire database of a bank's emails, and you were to do that trickle, trickle, trickle piece out. I think that at some point, bad actors are going to figure out that you can actually extort people uh, around their own words more effectively than uh, encrypting their files. And I think the one in this very short term that we're going to see has a lot to do with the Internet of Things, because despite the warnings that all of us have been screaming from the hilltops and renting billboards and everything else, we're continuing to see devices shipped insecure by default. There, there really is an accountability gap between the manufacturers who don't feel like it's their responsibility to secure them or to even make them so they could be secured and the damage that they can be inflicted, not just with distributed denial of service attacks, but countless others as well. So I think in the next year, we're going to be talking about uh, IoT 3.0 attacks, right? Because we've seen the second wave last year. And then the next few years, we're going to see what used to be called uh, ransomware and was specific around file encryption really become just extortion, period, right? And uh, I don't think either one of those trends is particularly uh, exciting or, or promising in the Gene Roddenberry sense of what's in the future for us. Such a positive note to, to, uh, to finish. Well, um, once again, my guest, Ray Watson of Macer G. Did I say that right? You did. Macer G Security? Correct. And you're speaking at Black Hat. And are you going to be around for DEF CON too? Absolutely. I right will be on. participating in DEF CON So as well. uh, uh, once your talk is done, what are, you, what are you looking forward to this week at, at DEF CON and Black Hat? Well, sure. So uh, the most exciting part of any of these conferences is actually going to some of the briefings or speeches from people that I've never heard of before because there's some real diamonds in the rough out there uh, sometimes. And I've already seen three of those today, actually. I already saw a fascinating talk about, uh, about anti-phishing techniques and, and TFA, or two-factor authentication, uh, as well as GSM hacking. That's always my favorite part of these shows. Right. What's, what's GSM stand for? That's the global. That's the cellular network. Oh my gosh, we're gonna. I'm gonna really kick myself for not remembering that. But it's the, the, the cellular standard that basically uh, came before 3G and 4G and LTE. Global. Great. That's <laughs> one more acronym to add to the bin. Ray, thanks so much for taking the time to do this with me. It was a lot of fun, but we should definitely do it again. So, Ray, if people want to stalk you on Twitter, <laughs> yeah, perfect. How can they go about it? They can doing find it? me at Ray, the letter J, Watson on Twitter. And uh, I, I generally, if you're in the InfoSec business and you're not a bot, I generally do follow back. So I would encourage people to follow Ray J. Watson on Twitter. Ray Watson, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Vince in the Bay podcast. Check out prior episodes at vincentthebay.com. Subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and SoundCloud, and follow me on Twitter at Vince in the Bay. Until next time, ciao.